Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of us being here today to gather as a family, to gather to learn about you. I pray that you will be with David. Give us ears to hear and help us to learn from your word this morning. Amen. You may be seated. It's important that anytime you are on a mission to not get distracted, because if you get distracted and forget that you're on mission, especially if it's a kind of secret mission, that will end up leading to disaster. And such is what happened in The Lord of the Rings, which is one of my favorite stories, as many pastors, I can't help it. Um, but the four hobbits are finding themselves running away from their homes, and they're being guided by Aragorn as their guide, and they're being chased kind of by these immortal beings dressed in black who can't die and are mysterious and chasing them. So they're fleeing, they're running at night trying to hide from them, and they, they find themselves at this big watchtower. And so they set up camp there at night, and they kind of lay down. Some of them take a nap, and their guide goes out to you know, patrol and make sure that they're not being spotted. But then one of them wakes up, he discovers that the other hobbits have decided that this would be a good time to make some dinner. And so on the top of this big tower, in the, mid, in the middle of this open field, they decide to light a fire at night so everyone can see them, so they can have, you know, a good dinner. And he wakes up and says, what are you guys doing? You guys forget what we're doing here? We're trying to hide. Now you just give us away and say, oh, well, you know, we're making some tomatoes, some sausage, got some nice crispy bacon. Are you hungry? What do you want? Because when you forget that you're on mission... If you forget you're trying to hide from something and you get distracted, it leads you to making decisions that end up ruining your mission, which it led to some disaster for them. But as a church especially, we can still get sidetracked. We've been talking these past couple of weeks about what the church is, and the church is many things. And the church is many things that we haven't talked about. We've talked about how the church is an embassy, and we're a representative of the kingdom of God in the world. Talked last week about how the church is a greenhouse that we are meant to fuel spiritual growth. And the church is many other things. It's a temple of God. It is the body of Christ. But at the core of all of these, one of the things we have to remember, we have to keep at the forefront of our minds, is that the church is on a mission. That we too have a mission given to us from Jesus that we've read in the book of Matthew 28. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at three things um, as it pertains to the church being on mission. We're going to look at the command from Jesus, then we're going to talk about um, converts and the difference between a convert and a disciple, and then finally we're going to look at our comfort as we engage on this mission. So i got three C's for you. I'm feeling very Southern Baptist this morning. Um, but point number one for you, if you're taking notes, is that the church must be mission-focused, not inward-focused. The church must be mission-focused, not inward-focused. What we read here is the last words of Jesus. And last words are pretty significant, right? Last words are important. We usually, especially um, 
if it's somebody who is giving their last instructions, their last will and testament, we, we hold those in high esteem. But we should especially hold it in high esteem if it's from Jesus, because this is what Jesus has decided the last thing He wants to tell His disciples. The last thing He wants His followers to know, the last thing He wants the church to know is this. And the last thing He says is actually it's a command, and it's a command to make disciples. It's not optional. He doesn't say, you know, hey guys, if you feel like it, now that I'm gone, you get around to it, add it to your to-do list, maybe you could make some disciples, that'd be cool. He's not, he's not saying, hey, just put it on your grocery, grocery list. He's saying that every single one of His disciples, every single person who is a follower of Jesus, needs to be going and needs to be making disciples. And this is a command. It's clear kind of in the Greek, but you can see it here that it comes across like a command. It's do this. Make disciples, church. It's not a suggestion. It's kind of like when my wife tells me, hey, David, the trash is full. That is actually a command. <laughs> David, take out the trash. I know that. It's not just, oh, well, thank you for letting me know. Now I know that the trash is full. So now I know I have to try harder to get trash in there because it's going to be more difficult. No, it's you need to take out the trash. And preferably, you need to take out the trash right now. Stop what you are doing. So what Jesus is saying is He's saying, hey, guys, make disciples. Make disciples. It's a command for us. And when Jesus commands us to do something, we should listen, shouldn't we? Because we love Jesus. We care about Jesus. We say we're followers of Jesus. So if Jesus tells us to do something and all those things are true, it should lead us to, okay, let's do it. Let's do what He's asking us to do. This is commonly referred to really as the Great Commission. And this is because Jesus is giving the church a mission. He's telling us, this is what I want the church to be about. This is what I don't want you as disciples to be about. I want you as disciples to be about making more disciples. And remember, the disciples have been dedicated to the mission of Jesus. They spent the last three years of their lives following Jesus, literally following Him. All they've been doing is just Jesus is walking around, He's wandering around Israel the last three years doing His ministry, going to this place, going to that city, preaching the kingdom, telling, calling people to repentance. And all they did, they just followed Jesus around, listened to His teaching, hear what He had, listened to what He commanded. But their new mission is now to go and to make their own disciples. Not disciples of Peter and John, but disciples of Jesus. And what we see is this actually isn't just to the 11 disciples, though they're specifically mentioned in 16, the 11 disciples are there. But we know in other places that this is also for, there are more people than just them there. Right? At the ascension, the beginning of Acts, we find there are 500 plus people, and there's just 500 men. So there's probably at least as many women, if not even more people, that are there hearing this command from Jesus. And we also understand the commands of Jesus aren't just for them. We can't just say, oh, well, this was just for those disciples, so I'm off the hook here. I don't think Jesus wanted me to do this. This is just for the best disciples. No, if we are followers and if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, then this is a command for us as well. And so part of the point of the church, the point of what Jesus wants His disciples to be about is to be mission-focused, to not be focused on themselves, to not be inwardly focused, but they are to go out into the world, go and make disciples. Jesus didn't say, hey, I think we're good. I think we got enough disciples, got 11 here, got a big crowd. 
this seems pretty good. Let's just, let's stop. Let's cut it off. Don't let anybody else join. Don't let anyone else join this. I, I think we're pretty good here. You know, that it's pretty special. Like, we got a good fellowship here going. It's really nice. So, I mean, other people would just ruin it. So, let's not do that. No, he wants his disciples to go out to make more disciples. And so, the church, too, we have to, this is our mission. Our mission is to be focused on making disciples. But so often we get pulled off mission. We get tempted. We get pulled and distracted by a million other things. And one of the main temptations that we can have that pulls us off mission, pulls us off from being focused on the mission of Jesus as making disciples, is that we can become overly inward focused. We start to just be focused on ourselves, on what we like, on what the disciples who are already here want. And we want our community, we want our group of disciples to just stay the same. No one else to come and ruin what we have going. You know, we're well established, kind of know everybody, it feels good, we like our fellowship. You know, if we we could add maybe one disciple, if we had two disciples, that might change the dynamic. I don't know if we want to do that. In other words, we start to think, well, I, I really like the church the way it is. So our focus turns away from, hey, is our church making disciples who are like Jesus to, hey, is the church just doing what makes me happy? So the church is doing what we've always been doing that I've liked. So the church is being what I want to be. And this is what kills churches more than anything else, is when we turn and we just become inwardly focused only about ourselves. When the only thing we care about is just maintaining things as they are instead of making disciples like Jesus asks us to. We stop wanting to make disciples. We think, I think we've made enough disciples. We can stop now. We don't really care about the mission of Jesus anymore. And, it's, and the moment we do that, the moment a church does that, they cease to become what Jesus has asked them to do. And what are some ways this can happen? Well, you can see this really and if you go to a church and you just ask and look, well, how do they treat visitors when they come in? Somebody who comes in who's never been there before, how do, what happens? In a place that maybe just ignores visitors. I've been in places like this. I just ignore them, don't help them. Nobody says, maybe somebody says hello, shakes their hand, and that's it. You can tell they wander around, don't know where to sit. Service ends, and then they leave, and no one talks to them. That's why. Well, I don't really care that you're here. Not about you. About me. I, I've got to do my things. That's what I'm here for. Now, this doesn't mean... And, and last week, right, we talked about being a greenhouse. And so what I don't mean by this is I don't mean that the church should not care about the people inside of the church or that we shouldn't be inwardly focused at all, because we must be. Because we need to be a place that leads to spiritual growth, okay? Not just for the people who aren't believers yet and who are outside of our church, but also for the people here. But our temptation can be to be too focused on ourselves. And we can be tempted as a church not to care about the people in our community, but only to care about the things are as to keep things like we like it. One way you can think about this is the, you can think about the thermostat in your house. Okay, the temperature that you like to have your house at. I've discovered slowly that everybody kind of has their own temperature. You've got your own number for your house for what you like it to be. In my house, my number is probably a little bit lower than your number. Okay, I like my, number, I like my house to be cool because I like wearing hoodies, I like wearing sweatpants. I'm often, if I'm on my couch, I'm probably under a blanket. And they ask, well, why don't you just turn up the temperature? I, this is how I like it, okay? That's, that's what I want it to be. But my in-laws in Florida, they do not like that, okay? They're from Florida. They don't like it to be cold. It needs to be hot. And I don't like it. When I go to their house, their house is like 75 degrees. So I'm, I'm sitting there wearing shorts and a t-shirt, just sitting on a couch, and I'm just sweating bullets. 
thinking, what are we doing here? I, I want to be wearing a hoodie. I want to be under a blanket. Why am I sweating? I'm not even wearing much. But our temptation, and my temptation, right, is I can just be inwardly focused when they come to visit and think, well, just get a blanket. I don't, I don't care that you guys like it warmer. I like it colder. It's my house. Just sweat when I'm in your house, and now you got to be cold when you're in my house. Okay, but if I was actually others-focused, okay, if I wasn't just focused on myself, then what would I do? Well, I'd probably turn my temperature up a little more than I was comfortable with. Why? Because, well, it's not just about me, but it's about how can I care for others. Now, this doesn't mean that we, as a church, or we should always be changing everything about ourselves to make sure that everybody's comfortable and nothing could ever upset somebody. That's not what I mean at all, but it does mean that we need to be focused on the mission of Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, even in the things we do in church, if, well, Hey, does this help us make disciples? Are we making disciples? Or am I, is the only question we're asking, is this what I want? And one thing that can help us see how radical really a call that Jesus is asking is to, to look at Israel's history. Because what He is doing is He is saying, I'm going to totally change the paradigm for how we as Jews have made disciples, how we have made followers of Jesus. Because the pattern was there's the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, and there's one temple, and it's the temple, and that is where you worship God. And really, if you're a good follower of God, you've got to come to the temple at least probably once a year, right? And if you want to be a good follower of God, the only way you can be is you've got to be a Jew. You've got to be an Israelite. The only way to be a disciple is to come and to join the Israelite people. You can't go somewhere else and do that. You've got to be here. Now, other nations were always, all throughout history, this wasn't just to start with Jesus. As you read through the whole book of the Bible, you see how God is always inviting the nations to come and to follow Him. But it's a, hey, come and see. Hey, come to Israel and see what our God is. Israel wasn't in the normal pattern of sending out missionaries to other places to set up new temples to tell people about God. The pattern was we're staying here. In our bubble that God's called us to, we're going to live our lives, we're going to do our best to follow God, and we're going to invite you to come and join us. And maybe you'll hear about Him, and then we hope that you'll come and be here. But what Jesus does is He totally flips it. He says, that time's over. It's not come and see. Now it's time to go and make disciples. It's, you need to go out. And we see that as disciples go, and they spread all throughout the world, sharing the gospel and the mission of Jesus. But we can fall into that same attitude sometimes, as Israel did, even when it comes to our church or to witnessing. We can act like, you know, we can act like we just expect unbelievers or people who aren't disciples of Jesus to just stumble and wander into our building sometime. Now, how will they get there? I don't know, but maybe they'll hear about us. Maybe they'll hear about how awesome we are, how loving we are, that, you know, we like to poke fun at each other. We have a good time, even when we're not singing exactly perfectly the way that we could be. And they'll, maybe they'll hear, and then they'll just come. And that's not a bad thing, necessarily, because we, we can and we should be inviting people to church. I hope we're inviting unbelievers to church. And, and the fact is, too, that most people who are unbelievers will say, 80% of them will, will say, yeah, if somebody invited me, I would come, even if I'm not really that interested. So that's a good thing. We should invite people to church, maybe even more than we already do. But that isn't a whole picture of discipleship. That isn't what Jesus seems to have in mind. Discipleship is much more than just inviting someone to come on a Sunday or a Wednesday night. It's more than even coming to a men or a women's Bible study, although that's part of it, but that's not all of it. Making disciples means actually getting involved in somebody's life. And so point number two, we're going to talk about the difference between a convert and a disciple. 
Let's talk a little bit of what that looks like. So point number two is that a convert will change their beliefs while a disciple changes their whole life. A convert changes just their beliefs, but a disciple changes their whole life. There's a profound difference. And when I'm saying convert, I'm kind of look at the way I'm using it. For that, I'm mostly thinking of someone who just calls themselves a Christian. Somebody who would just say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I like Jesus. It's easy to be a convert. It's easy to say, I am a Christian. It's harder to be a Christian. It's very easy to claim the name of Jesus, and we see that everywhere. Probably most people in Oklahoma, in our whole state, if we ask them, hey, are you a Christian? You follower of Jesus? Say, oh, yeah, sure. Follower of Jesus. Most people in our community probably say that they're Christians. They even say, yeah, I go to church over there. But then when you look at people's lives, look at most people in our community, in our, our state, you might be surprised to think, oh, I don't know if that's actually true. Judging the way I'm seeing y'all act and treat each other. It doesn't seem quite like you're all Christians. And most people even who say they are Christians have, have beliefs that aren't right. Many of them would say, ah, you know, the Bible seems it's mostly true, but I think it's got a lot of stuff that's wrong with it. I think it has a bunch of errors. Or most people who call themselves Christians, call themselves converts, would say, yeah, you know, Jesus is good, but I think He's only one way to heaven. He's probably not the only way. There's probably other gods out there. It's kind of hard to be a follower of Jesus if you think you can be a follower of someone else, and that's okay. But worse, or more significantly too, is a convert can just easily say that they believe something. A convert can change their mind, change religions. They can change religions as many times as their mind changes. They read a new book, hear something different, watch a new podcast or show. But Jesus doesn't ask for converts. Jesus has make disciples. And a disciple, if it's a specific image that Jesus paints and He asks for, then we need to look and be reminded, what is a disciple? Well, look at the, the 12 or the 11 disciples who followed Jesus. What did they do? What was their pattern? They gave up their whole lives to follow Jesus. They gave up everything to follow Him for three years. They quit their jobs. They left their nets behind. They left behind their tax collector booth. And they walked around unemployed with Jesus for three years. They were homeless. They didn't have their homes they were going back to every single night. They walked away from their families at a time in history where nobody does that. You don't leave your family. To leave that is shameful. But they walked away from their families to follow Jesus. And when they did this, why? To be a disciple of Jesus, to walk around, to listen to Him, to hear what He had to say, to do what He asked them to do. They committed themselves to Jesus. They said, Jesus, will give up everything. We'll leave it all behind to follow You. Being a disciple changed their whole lives. It affected everything. It changed everything. They weren't fishermen or tax collectors anymore. Now they were disciples of Jesus. And to be a disciple didn't just mean that they liked Jesus. Because lots of people in Israel liked Jesus. Okay, lots of people, and it doesn't mean being a disciple doesn't mean that you believe Jesus is the Messiah. It doesn't even mean that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. Because lots of people believed that. There were crowds everywhere because they thought, hey, this Jesus guy is pretty cool. Let's go see what he's got to say. And then later, Jesus says, hey, take up your cross and follow me. And that, ah, I don't know if I like Jesus that much. He's okay to listen to once in a while, but that seems like a big sacrifice. They wanted to be converts of Jesus. The crowds did, but not disciples. But to be a disciple, you have to actually follow Jesus. And we, we see how Jesus lays this out kind of in the rest of 19 and 20. He tells them not just to make disciples, but He tells them partly how disciples are made. 
And first, we see disciples are made through baptisms, where He tells them to baptize them, or start in 19, go therefore, make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So disciples aren't just people who want to be followers of Jesus, but they are people who have been actually baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of God. So someone says they want to be a disciple, or a follower of Jesus, say they want to be a disciple, say, hey, I'm converted, I want to be a Christian. Well, great. The next step in Scripture seems to be following through in baptism. And why baptism? Well, because disciples of Jesus get baptized. That's what Jesus says. I feel comfortable going with Jesus following what Jesus asked us to do. It's not because, you know, we really love water and we just like to dunk people and it's a fun thing that we invented, okay? And that's not it. But it's because baptism is a sacred and a holy act. What it does is it reveals and declares someone to the world as saying, I am a follower of Jesus. It shows and reveals we have been washed clean of our sins, not because of anything we have done, but because of, we are washed in the blood of Jesus, like we sang about this morning. It is a physical display of the new life in Christ that He gives us. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins, the old us is dead and buried as we go under the water. And when we come up, it symbolizes the new birth that Jesus has given us. So when I baptize, I love just saying, you know, you're buried with Christ in the likeness of His death. The old you is dead and gone, and just like underwater, and just like Christ was dead in the ground and buried, that's where your sins are. But now you are raised to walk in the newness of life because in what Jesus has done, He gives us new life. And baptism shows that. It reveals that. And the only requirement for baptism biblically is you need to be a believer. You just need to be somebody who wants to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. You don't need to be this holy before you can get on the ride. You don't need to read your Bible X amount of times during the week before we'll let you get baptized. You don't have to have a seminary degree. But you need to be a little more than a convert. You need to be somebody who wants to actually follow Jesus. And this is why we don't baptize children. Some traditions do. And they understand and they interpret Scripture a little differently. If you want to get into some of the nuances of that, um, I'm happy to do that. Um, But the way Scripture seems and what Jesus seems to be saying is illustrating baptism is for those who are disciples of Jesus. Baptism is for those who are definitely in God's family. And you can't just be born into God's family. We are not Christians and we are not disciples because our parents were disciples and say, oh, now I'm automatically a disciple and I get to follow him. That's not how it works. And this is part of, so we only baptize those who are clearly and and truly believers, who actually have faith and are saying that they're disciples of Jesus. The only way into God's family is through the blood of Jesus and is through faith. But baptizing them, it's really part of making disciples. It's getting to baptize people. It's helping moving them from being dead in their sins to new life in Christ. And part of if you're really a disciple of Jesus means being only willing to stand up in a crowd and declare, hey, I am a follower of Jesus. He has changed my life. And too much, I think, as believers, especially, at least this is true of my upbringing, growing up in a Southern Baptist church with my Southern Baptist dad, who I love very much, but we can often spend too much time when we talk about baptism, about what baptism is not. You spend a bunch of time talking about, hey, baptism doesn't save you. It's not anything mystical. You know, you don't have to do this. It's not going to guarantee your ticket into heaven. And we spend so much time talking in there that we never actually talk about, well, what is it? Well, does it matter then? Sound, you, know, you spend most of the time talking about what something is not. It sounds like I don't really need to do anything with it. 
Sounds like I can just ignore it and throw it away because it doesn't seem that important. You're spending a lot of time telling me why it's not that important. So I don't want to do that this morning. Though all of that is true, but what it means as a church is that we sh- part of making disciples is we baptize people because bapti- baptism is awesome. Because baptism is a wonderful moment, not just for a church as an individual to see and remember in your body that Jesus has washed you clean of your sins. It doesn't make you a disciple, but disciples get baptized. Right? If somebody who is following Jesus and says, well, I don't really want to get baptized, you know, well, Jesus tells you to, so I don't know how you can say you're a follower of Jesus, don't want to be following Him. Again, I'm not saying if you're not baptized, then you're obviously not saved. I'm saying, well, it's hard to say you're a disciple of Jesus if you don't want to be obeying Jesus. And so as a church, right, being on mission, this means we should be baptizing people. And many use this as a metric to say physically, like, hey, are we making disciples? Are we actually baptizing people? You know, I hope, I hope that this year that people get wet in our baptism tank. I hope I have to change clothes in the middle of the service because we are baptizing people, not because, you know, I'm, we want number, we want to be impressive, because we want to be on mission. We want to do what Jesus is asking us to do. We want to make disciples. And so I hope as a church we continue to make disciples. I hope that we continue to baptize people. I hope that this year people come to faith in Jesus for the first time. I hope that people come and are baptized when they've never been baptized before because they want to be followers of Jesus, because that is part of what it means to make disciples. Then in verse 20, Jesus continues and He says, okay, so baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So again, part of the difference between a convert, converts believe, but disciples obey. It's one thing to believe something is true. It's another thing to actually act on it. Okay, most people in the world, almost everybody, probably believes that cigarettes are bad for you. There's even a big warning on the back of all of them that says, hey, this is pretty bad for you. That doesn't stop people from smoking. Okay, it's easy to believe something, but it's hard to actually do something with it. It's hard to actually obey. It's hard to put it actually into practice. And part of being a disciple means obeying what Jesus has asked us to do. It's somebody who takes Jesus seriously. It's not just, well, I like Jesus. Okay, Jesus asked you to do this. Ah, I don't like Jesus that much. I don't want to listen when he tells me what to do. I don't like that. So part of what making a disciple is, is it means teaching people the ways of Jesus. It means walking with somebody. It's doing what Jesus did to the disciples. It's doing that for another. It's walking alongside their life. It's walking with them. It's showing them and sharing. Hey, here's what Jesus said. Let's look at God's Word together. Let's read the words of Jesus. What does this mean? What do you think that means? Hey, he says to love our enemies. Who are your enemies? Are you loving them? How are are you struggling to love them? Let's talk about it. Let's see how we can both be more like Jesus. That's what disciple making is. It's actually changing every single part of our lives to be like Jesus. And this is the thing, right? Converts can just change their beliefs. The disciples have to actually change everything in their life. Okay, a convert can just be a bud in the seat or a body in the room. You can fill up rooms with plenty of people, plenty of bodies. Any people who think, yeah, Jesus is okay, that's fine. And churches can get distracted this way. This is another way we can get off mission. We can think that we're making disciples because we want unbelievers to come. We want unbelievers to come and to hear the gospel. And so we do that, and, but we end up just drawing crowds. And we fill up a room with people who might like Jesus, but people who aren't actually being changed actively by Jesus. 
And we can sit around and talk about, hey, Jesus is pretty cool. He said some stuff that's nice. Maybe we should listen to it. But if he doesn't actually make a difference in our lives, then you're not really making disciples. And what happens when Jesus is changing the disciples' life is beautiful. It is one of my favorite things, not just as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus, to watch Jesus change our lives and to help us be more like Him, because that process never ends. That process doesn't end once you first become a disciple. It continues throughout your whole life, hopefully, if you're really being changed by Jesus. It's every day, it's every week, it's every month. You look and see, wow, you know, last year I was angry a lot more, and this year I'm not quite as angry. I still get angry about this and that, but I used to blow up this way, and now I don't anymore. And sometimes that, that change of following the commands of Jesus happens in just small ways or in tiny increments. And I think of uh, my dad's been discipling somebody who is involved in a, a biker gang. Okay, and so he came to faith much later in life. Okay, now you can imagine the kind of background somebody would have who is actively involved in criminal life. Okay, so following Jesus is a pretty radical change. And also, one of the things that just struck me is he was having a conversation with my dad, and he started to say, you know, I just, I just feel really different. Like, now this week, I've just started to, like, feel bad for people. I've just started to kind of have, like, empathy for people. I, I've never felt that before. Okay, that can make us go, wow, okay, that seems like a basic... But for him, that was Jesus changing his life, one small, tiny step at a time. And that's what making disciples is. is we, we come into people's lives, we walk alongside them, we help them, and we try and teach them to uh, not just teach them, hey, this is what Jesus says, we teach them to observe, teach us to obey, to follow Jesus, to, to have him change every single part of our hearts, no matter how small or no matter... How big. That is real discipleship. Discipleship happens when our lives are actually being changed by Jesus. So the question for us as a church is, hey, are, are we doing that? Are, are we making disciples? Are we seeing people's lives changed? And that's spiritual growth. Is that happening? But now let's, uh, let's talk about comfort. Because discipleship seems like a, a big job. And it is. And so many of us can feel inadequate. We can think the task is too big. We can think this is too hard. We can think, man, that is a lot of work. I don't know if I have all that energy. And point number three is that we need to make disciples with confidence that God is with you. To make disciples with confidence that God is with you. First off, again, we need to remember that this is a command for all believers, Okay, everybody in this room, if you would say that you are a Christian and you are a follower of Jesus, if you'd even say that you are a disciple of Jesus, well, I have news for you. God has commanded every single one of us to make disciples of Jesus. This is not just for me as your pastor. This is not just for the elders to make disciples. This is not just for those Christians with big ministries. This is not just for those who have a really big platform, who have written books, or who have a lot of followers on social media. This is for every single one of us. This is a command for everybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. All the 500 in that massive crowd, all of us are commanded to do this. We can't escape His command. We can't. But we have to remember, making a disciple isn't about crowds. Making disciples of Jesus isn't about numbers. It's not even necessarily about success. It's not about influence. It is about all of us saying, hey, 
can I help one person be more like Jesus? Is there one person in my life that I'm working on, that I'm walking with, that I'm reading God's Word with, and I'm telling them, hey, why don't you come and follow me as I'm trying to follow Jesus? I'm not doing it perfect, but, you know, I've got a couple things figured out. And you may still feel like this doesn't mean you. You might feel totally unqualified. You may think, well, you know, I didn't go to seminary. I think I don't know the Bible very well. You even say the word theology and my eyes glaze over. Some of those words sound cool. I don't know what any of it means. You might even be a young believer or newer to the faith. You might struggle with your faith and with sin with many things. Look at verse 17. It's one of my favorite verses that stuck out here. And when they saw him, right, the disciples, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. There are some there who even with the resurrected Jesus in front of them are struggling with doubt. They're they're not filled with perfect faith. They don't have it all together. They don't have all the answers. They're not doing every single thing right. It doesn't say they were full of faith. It doesn't say that they've got their lives together. They're doing everything the way that they should be. It doesn't say they're super disciples. It just says, hey, some of them even now are struggling with wondering if Jesus is even really here. Wondering if these words are even for them. Yet, how does Jesus respond after that? Jesus came and speaks to all of them. And he knows everything. He knows there's people who are doubting. And he still says, hey, I want you to make disciples. He doesn't say, okay, I want this group over here, group number one, you, 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 and you. You, you guys go make disciples. Okay, you four, you need to go over here. You, you guys need some work. You need to get some stuff done. You need about three more years of following. Seems like you didn't really get it the first time, so we're going to try this again. Maybe we'll revisit this and see if I'll let you all make disciples when you graduate, when I give you your little certificate. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, no, all of you need to make disciples. Because what do you need to, to make disciples? You, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know Jesus. One of my favorite descriptions, uh, it's kind of a, a common description about, you know, a disciple or sharing the gospel often is just like a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. That's often what it means to be a disciple maker of Jesus is, hey, I don't have all the answers, but let me tell you a little bit about what I've, I've learned from Jesus. Let me tell you the the two commands I'm wrestling with this week that Jesus has given me. Let me tell you about how Jesus has changed my life. We we don't have to be all the way to Jesus. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be the holiest person even in the room. If you know Jesus, you can help people be more like Jesus. Really, ultimately, you only need to be one step, not even necessarily one step closer to Jesus than somebody else. It's just you're following Jesus. And we're trying to make disciples together. On the flip side, many of us too often need people who are discipling us. We need people in our lives who are helping push us to be more like Jesus, who are helping teach us all to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. But the question that every single one of us who is a believer needs to wrestle with is, am I discipling someone? Am I making disciples? And we need to ask that question and wrestle with it honestly. And really, not just am I making disciples, but to make it harder on yourself, you don't have to tell me, this is between you and the Lord, but really, who are you discipling? Who? Can you put a name there? Can you say, well, I am discipling so-and-so? Because if you can't, then I, I, I think you just need to read this passage more. You need to wrestle with this. You need to go to Jesus 
Because this is a call for all of us. It's a call for every single one of us. It's a call for me, and this is a call for you if you were a follower of Jesus. We need to be intimately involved in the process of making disciples. And so if we can't answer that, then either we, need to say, we just need to be honest with ourselves, which may be many of us, and say, Lord, I, I don't know if I'm making disciples right now. Can you help me? Show me. You show somebody in my life that I, I could be. You should, are there neighbors? Are there people that I, I know I interact with on a daily basis that, that I can try and push to you, right? We, we need to wrestle with that because we don't get to just cut God's commands out because we don't like it. We don't get to throw God's commands away because they're too difficult. We don't get to ignore God's commands just because we don't even necessarily know how to follow it, especially in a COVID world. How do, you, how do you make disciples? How do I share the gospel with unbelievers, not even leaving my house? I don't have all the answers, but what I do know is that God calls us to make disciples. And so we need to be wrestling with, are we actually obeying? Are we following Him? But there, there's a great comfort here. I love verse 20. I, I love how it ends. And I love how Jesus ends this, because this is big and this is hard, and you may even now be feeling like, I'm not making disciples, I don't know how to make disciples, now I just feel kind of bad, I'm not even sure what to do with this. Well, look and just hear these words of Jesus. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus asks us for is hard, it seems hard, it is it often may seem like we don't even we can't even make it happen, but what Jesus promises is that He will be there with us. That we don't have to do this alone. That He will be side by side with us throughout our entire life, always. Okay, what you know what always means in Greek? It means always. Okay, it means all the time. It doesn't mean some of the time. It means that Jesus is always going to be there with you. Just like, it's, it's poetic, but to the end of the age. Jesus will be with you until the calendar runs out of years. He'll be with you till you run out of year, years. He'll be with you always. Till this age of the earth dissolves like snow, Jesus will still be with you. He will walk with us. He's not leaving us alone. He's not asking us to do something impossible and insanely difficult and then kicking us on the butt and saying, good luck. Let me know if you get it done. He's saying, let's do this together. He's saying, I will be with you. And we can do this. We, we can try. We can attempt to go and to make disciples with confidence because we know that God is with us. Because we know that God is intimately involved in our lives. He has promised to be with us. I think of little, little Calvin, right? So he's two. He really loves when Bree and I are with him. Okay? He doesn't really like to be alone a lot, okay? especially now with the baby and stuff. He pretty much always has to be in the room that we are in, sometimes annoyingly so. You know, ask Bree how annoying it is. But oftentimes what he'll, he does, he started doing this recently, is he'll come up to me and say, Dad, Dad, play? And really, he doesn't say dada play. He might say it once. It's more yelling, dada play, dada play, dada play, until, okay, 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 I'm coming to play, Calvin. And especially now, one of the things he likes to play is he likes to play choo-choo farm or train farm, which for some reason, he takes his trains off the train tracks and he puts them in his little farm, and that's where he wants them. So I try and play with him, and okay, well, let's put the trains on the track. And he gets mad, no, 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 I don't want you to do that, Dad. That's not how we play this. 
okay, well, put him in. No, 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 Dad, I don't want you to do that. Okay. So often, he really doesn't want me to play with him sometimes. He just wants me to be near him. He just wants me to have my eyes on him. He just wants me to be loving on him. He doesn't need me to actually play with him. He doesn't want that. When he, mean, when he says, Dad, I play, he just means, Dad, I come be with me. That's what he wants. Because he's just comforted by my presence. He's just comforted knowing that his, his dad and his mom love him and want to be around whatever it is he's doing. Okay, just like little two-year-olds want to and can be so comforted by the fact that their dad is there and that's all that they need, that is how we should feel. That we are like children who should know that our Heavenly Father and Jesus is with us always. Always, even to the end of the age. No matter what you are doing. Whether you're at work, whether you're up in the middle of the night with pain again that doesn't seem to go away and you feel so alone. Whether you've just sinned again, whether you just feel broken. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, God is with you always. We should be comforted by that fact. And if He's really with us always, then it doesn't matter if we fail. He's not going to go away. It doesn't matter if we're not even fulfilling His commands the best way that we can, because He's still there. So what that means is we should make disciples with confidence, because Jesus is with us. And when He's with us, we can, we can do it. So the, this morning we've talked about our, uh, the, the command, and the command for the church is that we need to be mission-focused, that the way we even evaluate ourselves is not just, hey, how's everything going? It's, hey, are we making disciples? Are we, are we obeying the commands of Jesus? Are we doing what Jesus asked us to do instead of being inwardly focused? talked about the difference between converts and disciples. Converts just change their beliefs, but disciples have their whole lives changed by Jesus. Finally, we just talked about our comfort, that we... Every single one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, can and should make disciples, but with confidence that Jesus is with us. So church family, let's, let's make disciples together. And let's do it like those whose dad is always with them. I'm going to bow our heads and, and pray and invite the worship team to come back up and lead us. Lord, I just... I want to thank you that you're with us. Lord, there, there is so often that reading your word leads me to feeling inadequate. There's even, as I was reading and studying this passage this week, I, I was convicted and feeling like, Lord, I don't know if I'm really making the disciples in the way that you have asked me to. Lord, I thank you that you don't, that, that's not your goal, to leave us in shame. I'm thankful, Lord, that even when we fail, even when we fail again, and even when we fail again and again and again, Lord, you are still with us because you love us, because you've promised not to leave us alone. Lord, I ask that you would help all of us to make disciples. I hope that you would help our church, that you would help Tangled Bible Fellowship, Lord, to fulfill the Great Commission to share the gospel in our community, to share the gospel in this room. And Lord, that we would make disciples. Not because we're trying to become anything, not because we're trying to do anything other than just do 
what the God that we love has asked us to do. Lord, help us to be a church that is on mission. Help us to be a church that you want us to be. And Lord, help us to do it all with confidence, knowing that you are with us. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. I'm so glad to be a part of God's family with you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I'm going to read this benediction from the end of 2 Corinthians um, 13, 14. But before I do that, I just want to invite you to come back next week. We're going to be starting a a new series um, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at a church in crisis. Um, It is a church filled with all sorts of sin, all sorts of divisions, all sorts of problems and questions. Um, And there's so much that I think we can learn from them, one, what not to do, but also the the wisdom that Paul has for us. So I'm excited to to look at that um, next week. So I invite you to to start reading through the book of 1 Corinthians and just come, come ready to hear from God. But so our benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, church family. God bless you. You're dismissed.